Romans chapter 8. Um, this chapter is spectacular. It is truly spectacular. The more time I spend in it, deep, just digging deep, the more I am in awe of this chapter. Uh, the chapter begins with no condemnation, as we've heard, and it will finish with no separation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. And so we have this theme that runs throughout the book of Christian assurance, even in the midst of trials and tribulations, suffering, um, both physical, emotional, spiritual, all of the challenges of life we can be met with the truth of God's word in our situations right there and be assured we are his. We are, we are his and we always will be because his grip is invincible. He will not let us go. Nothing can separate us from his love. So we come now to what I'm calling the most comforting verse in the Bible. It is truly a spectacular verse. Now, Let's be clear. There are times where this verse has been tossed around far too lightly. You come up to a brother or sister who's struggling. You'd be like, hey, lighten up, right? Romans 8, 28. It's going to be just fine. You're, you'll be all right. Well, that's not the way we use this verse. But friends, let's be clear. Let us not pull back from this verse just because of its misuse in previous days. This is the verse to go to. This is your verse, Christian, when you are struggling, when you are weak, when you are crying out for help, when you don't know what to pray as you ought. This is your verse. It is the most comforting verse in all of Scripture. And it blows my mind how much is in these few words. So we're going to just move our way through this verse. What I'd like to do is read it in its context. Uh, verses 28 to 30, and then we'll dig deep into this, just this one verse. Paul says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be firstborn among many brothers. And... Those whom he predestined, he also called, called to life. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's where we're going to be in three weeks. Those second verses there, 29 and 30. But today, we set the promise in view. And then in three weeks, the theological foundation for the promise. So let's look up close at this verse that is so packed and potent. Let's begin with this first statement. Paul says, and we know. And I'm just like, do we? <laughs> I was like, I, it just struck me. Do we know this? Is this something that we know? He, he's, he could have said, listen, Roman Christians, Christians who are in Rome, believers, I know. I know, and I want to encourage you with this. No, that's not what he said. He says to these believers, we know, we know. Consider this. We don't always know what we should pray, right? Look at just two verses earlier. We don't always know how to pray as we ought, but what we do know 
is that God is working all things for our good. This is significant. This is what we can run to. This is why I say this is your verse. When you're struggling, when it's hard, when it's difficult, when you don't know what to pray, you can rest assured in Romans 8.28. The Christian Martin Lloyd-Jones says is a man who can be certain about the ultimate even when he is uncertain about the immediate. The Christian does not know everything, but he does know this one thing. God is working all things for my good. And that includes whatever you face today, Christian. You can know this. You can know it at the deepest level. You can cling to this this promise when it's dark and cloudy. Four things here. Number one, we know because of who God is. We know this to be true because we know who God is. This is what God is like. This is is what He can do. I mean, just think of a few of the verses that would point us to this. Uh, Isaiah 40, 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. The stars proclaim this truth. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. If he can do that with the stars, all of them, he can do the same with all things that meet your life. All things. All the stars. He knows. He calls them out at night by name. And it's by the greatness of His might and because He is strong in power, not one is missing. Not one star. Now try to number the stars, friends. Just try. You can't do it. God can. He's always known the number. Always. And He calls them by name. You think He doesn't know where you're at? What you're dealing with? The struggles, the weights, the hurts, the pains? He knows. He knows. I love in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, speaking of Christ, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact, repre- uh, the exact imprint of His nature, and He, this is Jesus Christ, He upholds the universe by the word of His power. <laughs> There's a verse, my friends, that you can build your life upon. Jesus is right now upholding. He didn't just spin it up and walk away, right? It's not just like creation was was where it happened and then it's over. No, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You're in your seat right now, feeling gravity pull you and sit you there because of Jesus. And you would float up into the heavens if Jesus released that word. Things are as they are meant to be in this moment right now. Even in all of the chaos and all of the darkness, they are exactly according to plan. That's how sovereign He is. Hmm. You ever been in a... Uh, a hay barn late in the day and the sun begins to shine through those cracks in the, in the boards and you realize why you have allergies? <laughs> You're like, 
Okay, now it makes sense. My dad wrote a poem on this years ago, and I absolutely love what he observed. He, he noticed how the, the, the particles of dust were dancing. They dance for God. And they dance at His hand. R.C. Sproul said it this way, there are no maverick molecules in the universe. Do you believe that, Christian? Sometimes, oh, we fall into this. We think that God is only concerned about big stuff, big, you know, important things, and not small things. That is the farthest from the truth. Why would we ever put limitation on the, the range of His power and ability? He is sovereign both over the supernova and the particles of dust that dance in a hay barn. Let's just be clear. He guides them by his hand. When the wind blows in, a, in, in the, the pine trees and those needles fall, he sets them exactly where he wants them. Nothing is, is passive. He is not just watching and being like, oh, look at that. The wind's blowing. Oh, that tree fell down. Oh, that bird died. Oh, look at that. that. So it's our experience, but it is not God's. We watch. He does. He does. The dust dances for Him. And every single molecule is where it is supposed to be right now. If you don't believe that, then you don't have a God. I mean, we, we've got to be careful here. We should be atheists if there are maverick molecules in the universe. There's, there's no really other option. If there have been places, even the tiniest of, of, of locations where things have gone rogue outside of his sovereign rule, well, then he's not God. That's what R.C. Sproul was pointing to. And I think he's dead on. Absolutely right. That's how sovereign our God is. So we know because of who God is, we know, we know this to be true. He is working all things together for our good. Secondly, we know because Scripture declares this. If you wonder if God cares about small things, look at this verse. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, Jesus says to his disciples? And yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Oh, child of God. Lest you think that God doesn't know, that God can't see, that God is not somehow in and working in all of these things. Remember that He numbers the hairs on your head. And I won't make any jokes here. I'm not going to do it. I, I'm thinking of some, but I'm not going to say them. We also know this because Scripture declares in very clear ways that He is sovereign even over evil and sin. One of the most clear descriptions of this and, and displays of this is in Genesis chapter 50 when Joseph confronts his brothers. These are the evildoers, the, the betrayers 
the brothers who sold him into slavery, covered up his, his, his uh, sale, which they benefited from financially, by faking his death. And then he was treated horribly throughout all of this experience falsely accused, but God raised him up into a position of authority. And this is what he says to his brothers as he forgives them for their sinful actions. He says, you meant evil against me. And it was, let's be clear. It was sin. It was evil. It it was betrayal at the deepest level. Joseph is not saying what you did is no big deal. Oh, he wrestled to release them. And one of the ways he found footing for forgiveness is in this truth. You meant evil against me, but God meant it, it, your sins, what you did, it, he meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. That is the nature of the God we serve. He is able to put to work and employ even evil deeds, even Satan, as we read in the book of Revelation, can accomplish the sovereign work of God. God is not evil. He does not do evil. But He is able to employ it for good. The cross of Christ is the clearest example of this. Now, two other points we know because of the testimony of other believers. Think of how many times you've been in a situation and you've heard someone say, oh, it was awful. I would never want to go through that again, but I'm telling you, God met me there in a special way. He worked that horrible time in my life for good. He turned it. He made it happen such that I benefited even as I groaned under the weight of that trial. We know this by our own experience. We know this. Maybe not fully. I'm not saying that we can see all of what God is doing in the darkest days of our lives, but we can see in part, can't we? If I had open mics here today, there would be a line of people who could say, I, I can tell you this is true. I've heard from some of you recently as you've gone through trials, weighty challenges, even COVID has been turned to accomplish good. Darkest night, brightest light. Memorize that. Tuck that away. Darkest night, brightest light. Christian, that's yours in this promise. When it's dark, then He shines brighter than ever and your soul will be met by Him in that place. John Piper taught the little kids in his church to say this, when things don't go the way they should, God always makes them turn for good. That's true. That's this promise. It's for you, believers. True. So we do know. We know. We agree with Paul. We know this to be true. 60 seconds of praise. This is part of what we're aiming for next week. Be thinking about how you could share. How has Romans 8.28 been realized in your life this last year? 
How has God answered prayers? What has he done? How has he strengthened you, challenged you, refined you, grown you, built you up, even in the midst of trials? Be thinking of that, and then it's just us, right? We're just family. Just come on up and share those things for the glory of God. Only take 60 seconds to do it, okay? All right, that's our mission. Next week, it's on. Now, second part of this. We know that for those who love God, who love God, those who love God. So all the, like right out of the gate, we're dealing with the limitation of this promise. This is not a promise that is given to everybody, just indiscriminately. Not everyone can just walk around and say, oh, it's just, it's all good. How can I know this promise is for me? That's the question we have to be asking at this point. How do I know that this promise can meet me in my deepest, darkest night? Some people just throw these words around all too lightly. Hey, listen, man, it's just all going to work out for good in the end. It's, all, it's, it's just all good. You got this, right? I, and so much of us just wants to take words like that and kick them, right? That's, a, just, that's not helpful. This is not what we're talking about here. Prosperity gospel, right? Oh, it's all good, man. You're not going to suffer. You're not going to hurt. Come to Jesus and everything gets better. It's all rosy and peachy. You'll be smiley. You can fill a huge church in Houston and sell lots of books, but it's not the gospel. It's false. Christians suffer, don't we? We need a promise like this, but how do I know it's mine well there's two things in view here we know that for those who love god all things work together for good so for those who love god and we're going to look at this in a minute for those who are called for those who are called according to his purpose so a promise sandwiched by clarification of who it's for in the new american standard version um, both of the clarifications of who it's for come after the promise Actually, memorize that. I like that better as a kid. Um, but I'm sticking with ESV because that's what we're, we're sharing together today. Let's dig into this a little bit. For the man who would walk in rebellion against God. For the, the woman who would live her life in, in just apathy to God. Just, uh, whatever. I'm not worried about him. I'm living my life. To the person who would say, it's all good. God would say, it's not all good if you don't love me. It's not. Now, the common grace of God is set upon the righteous and the unrighteous. Right? It, it rains, and it really rains sometimes, on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's, that's His grace that's common to all mankind. The fact that He doesn't snuff out the life of every sinner this instant is all grace. It's common grace, though. Special grace is reserved for the children of God, those who love Him. Common grace is also mixed with waves of wrath, but not for those who love God. For those who love God, we don't fear wrath. The wrath has been paid in full on the cross when Jesus took our place. One of the things that this points out is that love for God is different than love for things I get from God. 
Okay, now this is where we take to task the prosperity gospel once again. Loving God is something altogether different than saying, God, I like that you're a genie. And and I like that when I can manipulate things or say the right words, I get what I want. I like what I want, and I like it when you give me those things. See, that? that's not what love Paul is talking about here. Hmm. I was struck by this. God uses trials to reveal true love. Anyone experience this? God will use trials. He will employ them. He will bring them. He will give permission for them in your life to to pull the curtain back, as it were, on your heart and show you what you really love. Am I in love with comfort more than Christ? Am I in love with the gifts more than the giver? Well, here's a prime example. I want you to think about Job. Listen to the, uh, the, the temptation, uh, the, 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 the promise that Satan spoke in the presence of God. Uh, God says, hey, Satan, have you considered my man Job? He's blameless and upright. He walks with me in honesty and truth. He's sacrificing all these things. that he, he's, he's an upright man. And, and Satan says, well, listen, it's because you bless him. If you stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, he will curse you to your face. And so God says, go ahead. I give you permission. I give permission, God says, to Satan to sift him, to take his possessions and kill his children and crush him. In chapter 2, he said, well, it's because his body is fine. And, And God said, go ahead. Touch his body. He says, stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face. Now, what does Job love? Does Job love God or does Job love the blessings of God? Watch the answer. Job chapter 1, verse 21. His response to all of this calamity that ultimately has come from God. He says this, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There's his love. You see his heart? You see his love? And then we have this commentary that moves through the book of Job. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. This is an accurate assessment of his experience and it's true. And his love was well placed. Job's wife did not fare so well. She was more of a fair weather Christian. Her love may indeed have been in all the blessings that God had given, but not actually in God. Listen to her assessment. Do you still hold fast to your integrity, Job? Curse God and die. Whoa. To hear those words from your wife? At your place of weakness and brokenness? That's not easy to hear. 
That was Satan talking, wasn't it? His wife had her heart set on stuff here, not on God. Listen to his response. You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil or adversity? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Even when his wife said, do what Satan wants, basically. Curse him to his face and then die in your misery. Job says, I will take from the hand of God as He pleases to give. He has given. He has taken away. He is good. He is God. He is my portion. If I curse Him to His face, what do I have left? He said later in the book, Though you slay me, yet I will trust in you. Friends, this is love. This is love for God. Even when we don't understand His work in our life, even when it hurts, even when His, 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 uh, His providence brings us dark clouds on our life, liver cancer, the death of a loved one, even when it hurts, we say we bless You. Good Heavenly Father, we find footing to bless you. We trust you. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is a command, by the way. Don't forget that. It's, it's a command. It is the command above all commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your, uh, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. One of the ways this love shows itself is by Joyful, happy-hearted, surrendered obedience. When I say, not my will be done, but yours. When I say, listen, the good that I had in mind, well, it was a little different than the good that I know you're working here, but I'm trusting you. I'm clinging to you nonetheless. I will obey you. I will worship you. Even when storm clouds boil in my life. And so we know, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And don't miss that word. I love it when, when preachers say this. I, I crack my family up all the time. All means all. Okay, that's the most obvious statement ever. But it has to be said. All means all. Not, not just the good things. Or just not just the bad things. All means all. Everything that happens in your life, all things work together for good. Christian, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. This verse is one to memorize. Have this memorized. Say it to yourself with your eyes closed as you fall asleep, as you wake up, as you meet trials. Say this to yourself. All things right now are working together for my good. Now, when you walk into your garage, have the things in your garage decided, they kind of work together, they're like, okay, here's the deal, guys. Today, we are going to work for the good of Jeremy. Is that what happens? Or like the things in your kitchen, do they come in, uh, hey, let's just work today, okay? Let's just, let's, let's, let's just bless him. Let, can we just, 
the ice cream scoop is supposed to be here. That's, we just go there. Things don't work. Don't miss this. All things work together. Well, it's not things working. That's why I like the New American Standard, the way they, they, they do this. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. God is the worker of all things for your good. That's massive. I don't cuss, but if I could, that's a dangerous thing to say in the pulpit, isn't it? I don't cuss, but if I could, I would cuss karma out. Because it doesn't exist. That, it's a non-thing. You get, you get what I'm saying? There is no karma. There is no chance. There is no fate. There is no randomness. There is God. That is what we know to be true. So that there's nothing in your life that you could ever say, well, it's just, just lucky. No, you weren't. You've never been lucky. Don't, don't cheat God from work that He does for you and call it luck. It's God. Mm. Karma is cold. Chance is, is, is random. It's the friend of, of, of guys like... Uh, Who's the evolution guy? I can't think of his name. Darwin. Darwin loves chance. Christians don't. Chance is a non-thing. So, dropping your phone and seeing it shatter. Getting lost when you're trying to find a buddy's house. Showing up at the airport and finding that your flight has been delayed. When you get stuck in a traffic jam. Or when you go out from church and your tire is flat. Carolyn Anderson had a flat tire like a week or two ago, and the safety team changed it during church. So she came out and her tire was fixed. Yes, go safety team. I love it. How about this? Noisy neighbor kids. I'm going to keep going. All right. Crashing computers. You ever been there? Why today? Is it ever a good day for your computer to crash? <laughs> Slipping on the ice. A power outage, sleepless nights, spilling your coffee. Someone had a bad coffee spill. I'm not just in this general area over here. It's pretty rough. Flooding creeks. This is not random. This is not just karma. This is not chance. This is God. This is God. He is in and working. You're good. In those things. But not just the bad stuff. I love that my wife just mentioned this as well. She's like, I see him too in the good things. And it's so true. When you get an encouraging note from a friend, all of a sudden from work, a surprise bonus check comes that you had no idea was coming. Ethan uh, got hired on at Linden Door uh, on a, a part-time job. He's worked there just for a couple weeks and he got a Thanksgiving bonus check that blew him out of the water. Praise God for that. Who did that? Well, the amazing boss of Lyndon Door, but ultimately, God. God did that for Ethan. A sunrise, a song on the radio that points your soul to Christ, a verse that comes to mind, a flower in full bloom, a rainbow, we've seen this, in full color, 
a warm blanket on a cold night, a loving hug, even a timely sermon. You wouldn't even believe how often I hear, Pastor, those words hit me exactly where I was at. And my thought is, I could never have arranged that. There is literally no way I could have planned that or even known that what I was saying was going to meet you in that way. That is God. He's at work, Christian, in your life. Absolute sovereignty. Know this term. Love this term. He is sovereign, not sort of, but absolutely over all things, everywhere, at all times. He is absolutely sovereign. What we find here, however, is his providence. It's the function of his sovereignty. Sovereignty is rule, right, reign. Providence is the application of that in your life. When God so moves with purpose to love you, to bless you, to work for your good, he is bringing his sovereignty into action in providence in your life. I like how Piper defined providence. It is purposeful sovereignty. Purposeful sovereignty. God purposes, and with all the rights that he has, he is never unable to do what he wants. He does all that he pleases. And so in your life, he says, that is my child. I will work for their good and my glory, and no one and nothing can stop me. Which is where this chapter pushes us to. What can separate us from the love of God? Can anything? Can trial or hardship or, or nakedness or persecution or famine or sword, death or life, angels or demons, height nor depth, can anything separate us? The answer is no. Because God is absolutely sovereign and he has purposed your good and his glory. God does this in different ways. Number one, God allows. Sometimes He allows. We saw this in Job just now, right? He allows. Satan wants to do this, and he says, go for it. Go ahead. I give you room to run, like leash and my chihuahua. I will let you run out there, and I will pull you back at the edge of my, my permission. You will not go any farther, but you have authority. To. We've seen this all through Revelation, haven't we? The beast was given authority over all flesh and and this that, and that it's just a massive display so god allows he can function through secondary agency and accomplish good he did this through joseph's brothers when they sinned against him ultimately joseph ascribed that action to god and it's right it's true god didn't commit the sin but he did not stop it he gave it permission he gave it room to happen 9-11 was the hand of God. Listen to me now. God allowed it to take place through the hands of those terrorists. He didn't stop them from doing what He could have simply batted that plane and, and made it miss that tower. He could have easily prevented it, but He did not for His purpose. And he's working for good even on a day like that. There are other times where God will act directly, direct agency. So with, with Israel, He will bring um, all kinds of uh, 
disease and, and, and punishment upon them for their sin, right? Sometimes he opens the ground and swallows people. Sometimes he strikes them dead. Sometimes he sends serpents all through the camp and then calls them to look to him for salvation. This is direct action of God. He can do that as well. God works in righteousness always, never in darkness or evil. He works in righteousness in all things that happen in your life. Paul is not saying, John MacArthur writes, that God prevents his children from experiencing things that can harm them. Rather, he is attesting that the Lord takes all that he allows to happen to his beloved children, even the worst things, and turns them those things ultimately into blessing. No matter what our situation, our suffering, our persecution, our sinful failure, think of that. Even our own sinful failure, God can and does turn for good. This is not a license to sin. Hear me out. I'm not giving permission for sin. I am saying that at your weakest, most sinful moment, God is bigger. And he can take that sin and grow you from it. Cause your love for the gospel to just leap for joy when you repent. Show you your weakness and dependency upon him. As a pastor's kid who was saved at age five, I'm grateful for that reality. I could have come up this most self-righteous kid in the church, but God regularly showed me my propensity to sin, my my own desperate need for Christ. And he still does. He still does every week. We love the gospel. We all do. Because we need it every day. In those things, as well as other things, our Heavenly Father will work to produce our ultimate victory and blessing. Believe it, Christian, that's the promise here. Christian, right now, God is working all things for your good. Just consider that. This sermon was ordained for you right here, right now. For your good. Everything that happens today, God is at work for your good and for His glory. What is my greatest good? Oh, it's a good question to ask, isn't it? My greatest good, as we said even last week, is often too small. It's, it's not informed by the full range of God's goal, His priority, His viewpoint. Oh, so often we would say, well, I just want to be happy and comfortable and not have any problems. God's good is bigger than that. This is His goal that I be conformed to the image of His Son. It's in verse 29. That's where He shows it. He says the, the, the goal, His purpose, is to bring us into conformity to the image of His Son. That's what He's working to do in your life, Christian, which means that when He puts you in the furnace, His desire is to refine you. Even when you cry out, Oh, it hurts! Help me, Lord! He's saying, I know it hurts. I'm with you in this fire. We're going to get through this. And when we do, you will shine like gold refined in the furnace. He has a goal. And the good he is working is oftentimes 
bigger than we can conceive. Sometimes his good is that our life be used for the good of another. And we may never meet them this side of glory. Right? I mean, he can take my life and bring it to an end in such a way that someone else is saved. He can do that. I often think of people I've known who've battled cancer bravely, courageously, and died of cancer, proclaiming the gospel of God's goodness all the way and think, oh God, how can you use that planted seed to bring forth a, a harvest of righteousness? If God so wills that be His best for your life, may it be. May it be. We exist for Him. Not He for us. We exist for Him. For His glory. For His good. His purpose. And that is our comfort even when we hurt. When we experience trials, just think of all of the ways that God is at work. God is waking us from the danger of ease. Oh, how dangerous it is when the barns are full and the vineyards are, are just producing and, and how easy it is to forget God who has put us here and given us these things. He unmasks our propensity towards self-reliance. He reveals the depths of our need for Him. He breaks our pride and, and brings us into humility. Oh, the fire reveals pride, doesn't it? Humility is found often in weakness. God loves us enough sometimes to make us weak, to show us His strength. He showers us with His unfailing love and grace. He establishes us in Christ-likeness, which is the goal and gives joy. And He grows our love for Him all the more. God works these ways. He, th this is the way that God can work. We, we can't do this. This is not how we operate. His ways are not our ways. But He's good. And He's all wise. And He will bring it to pass according to His purpose. Go back to the call to worship that Don read all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. That's the same as saying for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Now the last couple points here. For those who are called, I've already touched on this a bit, but let's build this out. We know that, God, uh, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called, for those who are called, or as Martin Lloyd-Jones would say, for those who are the called, the called, for, for those who are the called, according to His purpose. This word is rich, and we will build it out in three weeks. We're going to see how significant this word is. This is a call to life. This is not just beckoning. This is live. Come alive, Lazarus. Those who are called are those who love God. Let's be clear. Those who are called are those who love God. And He is working for your good. Now, this is the part where your mind just has to kind of get blown a bit like mine was this week. Why did He add this? Why didn't He just leave it at love? Those who love God. He added this for a, for a reason. Because honestly, there are people who don't yet love Him. 
who have been called. You see the connection here? This, this blew my mind. Look at this. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. We just covered this in Romans 8-7. Left to ourselves, we don't love God. We, we can't. We literally lack the ability and the desire. And then we read in 1 John something like this. We love him because he first loved us. And all of a sudden, we begin to start thinking, this is why he put those who are called. Because there may be people even in this room who yet don't love God. But God first loved you. When did he set that love upon you? Before the foundations. And he is bringing you into life even if you don't know it yet. There will come a point in time in your life where he will make you live because everyone that he sets his covenant love upon before the foundations will be called to life. <laughs> the reason you love God is because He first loved you. The reason you love God is because He called you to life. Look at where these verses point us. Or just catch this first. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, Our love for God is the great confirmation of God's love for us. You see that? See the connection? The reason I love him is because he first loved me. Those who are called. There's a general call and the effectual call. We're going to build this out in three weeks. The general call of the gospel. When you read the New Testament, you've got to dis distinguish what call are we talking about here. Is this come all? John 3.16 Whosoever, come. Everyone. Who believes? All who believe. Go to the ends of the earth, he says, and tell the gospel to everyone. That's the general call of the gospel. That is not the effectual call of the Spirit of God in connection with the gospel. This is a reference to the second. The call to life. The wake up, O sleeper, and be saved. That's the call that Paul is referencing here. The effectual call of God. I know this because of the connection to the context. Watch how he builds this out. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And then watch the connection. There is a chain, an unbreakable chain that God starts and finishes. And calling is right in the middle. Those whom he foreknew. We're going to see that word build out in three weeks. It's more than just knew about. It's he set his love upon. He knew them. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. And those, you could say all those, he predestined, he also called. So if you have been foreknown, you will certainly be predestined. And if you have been predestined, you will most certainly be called to life. And if you have been called to life, you will most certainly be justified in that moment. Declared righteous. And if that has taken place, then you will most certainly also be glorified. That is, you will run through the tape in faith and experience the joys of glory forever. Do you see the work of God? It's all His doing. It's all of Him. It's His work. He does it. Which is why I think those who are called are in view here. 
There may be some who are yet to love God, but guarantee this, you will. If He has foreknown you and predestined you, He will call you to life and He will declare you righteous. He will wash you in sanctification and bring you to glory in Jesus Christ forever. It is as good as done. What an amazing encouragement this is. Believer, for you who love God, look at the finish of your life. Which is why he goes on to say, what's going to separate you? Can anything separate you from this love? Answer, no. Nothing. According to His purpose. Those who've been called according to His purpose. God's purpose for the called is in view here. Verse 29, predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He, Christ, might be firstborn among many brothers. The goal of God, His assigning a destiny beforehand for you, Christian, is Christ-likeness. He wants you to be radiant in righteousness like His Son. And He is working every day in your life right now. He's working all things to bring that pass in your life. Wow. So we can close this by just saying God's good is always best even if the road to receive it is marked with suffering. I think testimonies next week will confirm this to be true. Sometimes we need to be reminded of this, don't we? When we're struggling. Oh, oh, how easy it is to, to just only see the dark. These verses point us to the light again. God's good is always best even if the road to receive His good is defined by suffering. If you were given the false promise that Christian living is suffering-free living, be corrected today. You not only will suffer, you will suffer more because you're a Christian than if you weren't. And even in that, God is bringing your good and His glory. He's making you like Christ today. Our response today, I just want to ask the question, is this promise for you? You might be here and you might say, listen, I, I'm still trying to figure this whole God thing out and I, I, I don't know if I love Him or not. If I'm honest, I mean, I, I feel like I know about Him, but I don't bow to Him. I, I don't adore Him. I don't cling to Him as my hope alone in this life and the next. If that's you, my friend, look to Jesus today. Look to Him. Run to Him. Embrace Him as your Savior and Lord. And this promise will be for you. It will be for you. All who come will be saved. Come to Him. Come, embrace Him. Love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're going to close with a song here. It's a song that many of us know well, and, and it's, it's wonderful to sing, but I'll just tell you this. It's not always wonderful to live, is it? Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me and the world's all as it should be. Oh, it all just feels right. Blessed be your name. Don't forget to say that. 
right? Don't miss those moments to ascribe thanks and praise and gratitude to Him. But that tends not to be the harder part to live. This is the harder part. Blessed be Your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be Your name. Blessed be Your name. Then we'll sing this. You give and take away. I want you to hear Job. These are his words. You give and take away. Some of you struggle at points along the way with with being angry at God for things that have happened to you in your life. I want to challenge you. That is never okay. Don't ever let yourself be angry with the sovereign as if to somehow say, I could have done better. Or how dare you take away what was so precious to me. Join us in this song, resting in the sovereign goodness and wisdom of God, even when He takes away and say, blessed be Your name. I'm going to bless You. Even when You break me, I'm going to bless You. Because you're good and you love me and I love you and you're working in ways that I can't even see for my good and your glory. Let's pray. Oh, Father, these things meet us in very real and sometimes raw places. I have seen up close people go through unbelievable heartache we have folks in our church even now who are still not able to be with us because of just pain that is immobilizing every day with people who have lost loved ones the loss of a spouse even as we come into this holiday season that that hurts oh god bind up their hearts Be the strength that we need when we are weak. Meet us in our trials and our sufferings and our weakness and show Yourself strong and faithful and glorious, steadfast as Your love, O God, even when the fire burns hot. We confess our inclination toward comfort and ease. And we ask, O Lord, that not our will be done, but Yours. We don't say that suffering is good, Lord. We're not saying that evil is good or, or pain is good, but we know that You are good. And we look to You, the good sovereign over all, and ask for Your help. Accomplish all Your good pleasure and make us like Jesus, we pray. For Your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.